listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. I was thinking this week about the very first proper public sermon that I ever gave. And I remember the first sermon I ever gave. It was 23 years ago. Now, I'm 46, so that means it was half a lifetime ago for me. It was 23 years ago, and I had a few semesters of Bible college under my belt. But I was home. I went to Bible college out in the West Coast, out in Oregon. But I was home back in New York uh, in between semesters, kind of taking an in-between semester break. And the pastor of the church that I was a part of, that I'd grown up in, he scheduled me to preach a sermon during one of their midweek services. And that was back when churches had midweek services. And our church used to have a Sunday morning service, but also on Thursday night at 7 o'clock, they had a midweek service. And so there was a couple hundred people that usually came out to our midweek service, and and mostly they were folks who'd watched me grow up in the church. I started going to that church when I was 12 years old. And so it was a little odd for me. It felt a little bit strange. Here I was, 23 years old, with just a couple semesters of Bible college under my belt. And I was going to get to preach for like a whole night, a whole sermon. Like they gave me the pulpit. And I was like, what? You're going to trust me with that? Like I've never done this before. Like you might think I've gone to Bible college and learned something, but I really haven't yet. (laughs) And so I felt a little inadequate. I felt a little ill-equipped, but I was excited for the opportunity. 23 years later, I still feel inadequate and (laughs) ill-equipped most times when I I get up to preach. But my sermon title that night was was called Leaving Lodabar. And it was about the story of Mephibosheth back in in 2 Samuel chapter 9. There's this story about this guy named Mephibosheth, and it's not a really well-known Bible story, but... It's one that caught my attention as a young Bible college student, so I I hadn't preached before. I thought, well, this is just as good as anything to preach from the Bible. Um, And it wasn't a a very good sermon, (laughs) let's put it that way. Uh, It was my first time ever standing in front of a few hundred people and preaching from the Bible and having, you know, 30 minutes to do so, which was a short sermon in my church. In the church I grew up in, if you didn't preach for 45 minutes to an hour, you didn't preach. And so I, man, I, I just scraped, I don't know if I can do 30 minutes. And so I just kind of like fuddled through it and made it through. And again, it was a little odd because all these people who I was preaching to were much wiser than me, older, more experienced. I'd grown up as a kid in this church. It just felt a little, a little odd, right? I mean, who am I to kind of share and teach from the scripture? And I was just a kid, kind of in a lot of their eyes. And I remember one woman from the congregation afterwards uh, approached me, and, and she said to me, I remember when you were a little kid, you'd sit in front of me at this church. And immediately I kind of like froze up because when I was a young teenager in church, I just tried to stay awake through the sermon. I didn't understand a lot of it, and, and honestly, it's just a little hard for me to sit through, and, and something. oh, geez, she, she, she remembers me, you know, falling asleep and just kind of like not paying attention. And, and so she went on to say, I, I didn't expect much tonight. implying that, you know, I was that same kind of disinterested young teenager. And 
she, she went on to say that the Holy Spirit, though, had spoken to her through my sermon, uh, and, and that she was going to respond to what he felt he was telling her to do. And I don't think I'll ever forget that, because I remember how ill-equipped I felt. I remember how inadequate I felt. I remember, like, fumbling through that sermon, and to hear someone come up and say, oh, yeah, like, I didn't expect much from you. You're just that punk kid. But the Holy Spirit spoke through your sermon to me, and, and I'm going to respond to it. And something stuck with me there. Like, I, I, I remember that. And I learned something that night. Um, one, I didn't, I didn't realize or think that I would be still preaching 23 years later. I mean, preaching is it's, it's not a... It's not a, 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 a popular or highly esteemed profession. Like most people, if they find out I'm a preacher or a pastor, they want to get away from me as fast as possible. And some of that's deserved, right? Because of the way Christians kind of interact with people and talk with people. But I, I never thought that I'd be doing it for, for 23 more years, preaching. You know, uh, the statistics tell us that 80% of people who go into the pastorate do something else within 10 years. Because it can be stressful, there's lots of conflict, there's, uh, there's burnout, there, there's all kinds of things that happen. Fortunately, I've pastored two congregations, the one that I, I kind of grew up in, I, I was a pastor there for 12 to 13 years, and this one, and I've had wonderful experiences where people are just like amazing friends to walk with, but that's not always the case for pastors. So I didn't know, honestly, if I'd be doing this 23 years later, but I knew this. I knew that I wanted the Spirit to use me that way again. Where I didn't have to do something really good or, or be at my best or be at my sharpest, but the Spirit could still use it to speak to someone else. That did something to me. I remember that moment. And I learned something that night that I would never learn in Bible college, and that's this, that we should never underestimate what the Holy Spirit can do through the foolishness of preaching. You know the Bible says that preaching is foolishness? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, God has chosen to use the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. Now, if you've been coming to the well for a while, you know we've got the foolishness part down really good up here. Uh, but I remember that sermon. I remember that lady coming to me. And there's a passage in Hebrews chapter 4 that says this, the word of God is living and active. And that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to penetrate our hearts and to expose our intentions, our desires, our thoughts. And so what I realized that night, my first ever sermon, was that I kind of didn't do a great job with it. I did my best, but I was new at this. I was 23. But what happened was the Holy Spirit used that scripture because I was still preaching scripture Right? And somehow it penetrated into this lady's heart. And she responded to that. And I never forgot that. And the reason I bring that up this morning, that story, is because we're going to look today at Peter's first ever proper sermon in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Peter, of course, is one of the disciples of Jesus, and Jesus ascends to heaven. And here's a quick backdrop of what we've already covered in, in Acts is is that Jesus has told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, and he ascends to heaven. 
and there's 120 believers, and they're all gathered together in this upper room that they're renting, and they're praying together continually, and a, a mighty rushing wind comes and fills this place, and it says a pillar of fire comes into the room. And the pillar of fire kind of breaks off into these little pieces of fire, and it sets over top of all of their heads. Now, this is a significant information piece for us, because if you remember the Old Testament, we see a pillar of fire there too. After Moses leads Israel out of Egyptian bondage, the Israelites are walking through the wilderness, and it says this, that they're led by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, right? So God's Spirit is kind of leading them and showing them where to go. And so what happens in Acts chapter 2 is a pillar of fire comes into the room, and it breaks off into little pieces of fire. And so this had quite the effect. It was a sign that God's Spirit was about to lead them into something new. And so they started speaking in tongues. They're proclaiming the wonders of God in other languages. And it created quite a stir, as you could imagine. A huge crowd gathers. Now, it's estimated that when this happened, there were likely 180,000 people in Jerusalem for a religious festival. And so there was a, a, a number of people that from, were from out of town, and they were all gathered. And, of course, there's this stir because there's people talking in other languages. And, and the crowd's first suspicion is that these 120 are drunk. And that's what sets up Peter's first public sermon. <laughs> they have this kind of wild, crazy worship service, and there's a crowd that gathers, like, look at all these drunk, these people must be drunk. And he's going to deliver his first sermon in that setting. This is one he would never forget for sure. And so let's jump right into this. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. So he's going to explain kind of what they're seeing and hearing. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. And so Peter stands up to deliver his first ever proper public sermon. And, and it's, his intro is quite humorous. He, he's kind of saying, I know you've already prejudged us, <laughs> but give us the benefit of the doubt. It's, it's nine in the morning. We're not drunk for our religious festival at nine in the morning. That, that's how he starts his sermon. He's explaining to them what they're seeing and hearing. Then in verse 16, he gives an explanation by using an Old Testament prophet by the name of Joel. And he quotes from the book of Joel, verse 16. He says, no, this is what was spoken, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, was spoken by the prophet Joel. Verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Peter goes back to the Old Testament and he pulls out Scripture because he's preaching, right? This is his first public sermon. 
and he pulls from the prophet Joel. And what he's telling the crowd is, look, what you're seeing and hearing right now, Joel prophesied about. That this, what you're seeing and experiencing and hearing is, is the sign of a new age that has come. That God has poured out his spirit. And so there's prophecy, there's visions, there's dreams, which were all recognized forms of divine guidance. And he goes on to kind of quote Joel and saying there's going to be wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below. And then he uses this apocalyptic language. Says it talks about blood and fire and smoke and the sun being darkened and the moon turning to blood. And, and what, what Peter's doing is he's saying, hey, when Joel said this, when Joel prophesied this, what he saw was the coming of the Spirit would be an eschatological event. That it would, when the Spirit was poured out, it would trigger something. It would set something in motion. It would launch a new age called the last days or the day of the Lord. Have you ever heard those phrases before? And Peter's explaining to them, what you're seeing right now is the beginning of that. It's been launched. And there's an urgency that comes with it. Verse 22, look at verse 22 here. In verse 22 through 24, Peter's going to make his main sermon point. And this is what he says. He's going to make the point that Jesus is Lord. Fellow Israelites, he says in verse 22, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. He's saying, hey, you saw the miracles and the signs and the wonders that Jesus did, and he proved to you that he was who he said he was. This, verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. That's a pretty intense sermon, right? Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And so Peter stands up, and now he's going to make his main primary sermon point, that Jesus is Lord. And he starts by saying, you know the things Jesus did, the, the miracles, the signs, the wonders. It was all evidence that he, he, he was who he said he was, but you killed him anyway. You crucified him. But he goes on to say this was all part of God's preordained plan. It didn't take Jesus by surprise. He knew that he was going to go to the cross. It didn't take God by surprise. It was, it was preordained. In fact, Peter goes on to say God raised him up from the dead because death wasn't powerful enough. He conquered it. And so in the next seven verses, we don't have time to read every verse in this chapter, but in verses 25 through 31, Peter goes on to quote more scripture in his sermon. That's a good idea if you're preaching to use scripture, right? And so he quotes more scripture. He quotes this time from Psalm 16, and, and he's quoting this psalm to kind of further establish Jesus' lordship. And so he, he goes on to explain in his sermon how this whole plan was a fulfillment of God promising something to King David. That, that in the Old Testament, God promised David that one of his descendants would conquer the grave and would rule and reign forever, that would sit on his throne forever. In fact, he'd be seated at the right hand of God, the psalm says, which is a, a position of supremacy. And then, then we come to verse 32 in his sermon. Let's look at this verse. 
This is where Peter kind of sets up his closing, his closing remarks. Verse 32, he says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Again, he's referring to the 120 that are with him. He said, we've seen him in resurrected form, and some of you have too, he says. We're witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And jump to verse 36. He says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. What does that mean? God made Jesus, Lord and Messiah. Well, Peter's not saying that Jesus became someone else after his resurrection and ascension, but rather that Jesus assumed a new role. That Jesus now, after the resurrection and ascension, he is the risen and exalted one. He's the Lord of everything. He's the Lord over all. That the last days have begun. The day of the Lord is at hand. A new age has been ushered in, and Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh from the least to the greatest, and God now acts by means of his Spirit, the same Spirit that is, is directing and empowering the church and allowing us to be his witnesses. And so when we say these words, Jesus is Lord, have you ever heard those, that expression before? Have you ever said that before? When we say those words, Jesus is Lord, it's a real simple thing to say, just three words. But when we say that, what we're saying is all of these things at once. We're saying that he's now the risen and exalted one. He's Lord of everything. The last days have begun. A new age has been ushered in. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit's being poured out on all flesh and empowering the church and, and directing the church and it's allowing us to become his witnesses. When we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying all that at once. That's what Peter's sermon is doing. Saying, let me explain to you what Jesus' lordship means. Then we come to verse 37. When the people heard this, remember there's a huge crowd that's gathered. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Let me ask you this question. Have you guys ever been cut to the heart before? Maybe you were just kind of going about your day, you were doing something, and something grabbed your attention, and, and it just like, boom, it just like hit you. It penetrated you. It got past your defenses. It just like shook you up, right? It cut to your heart. Something got in. Something just, just got there. And so here are these people, and they're hearing Peter's sermon, and it says this, they were cut to the heart. And You'll know this if you've been cut to the heart before. Once you're cut to the heart, you feel like you have to do something. Like, I just can't just sit here. I have to respond to this. I have to do something. And so they say to the disciples, what, what should we do? Everything that we've just heard, it's just it's cut us to the heart, and now we need to do something. And see, when we get cut to the heart, we will always like, feel this need to, to, to do something, whether it's alter an attitude or, or recommit to something or reprioritize our values or change a certain behavior or choose a different path. 
let me just take a moment to say this. When you realize that you've been cut to the heart, don't ignore that. Because oftentimes we just think, oh, that's just kind of a weird moment where, no, that's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And he's cutting to your heart because he's creating an opportunity for you to respond to that. Right? And part of following Jesus is, is learning how to respond when the Holy Spirit cuts to our hearts. And it's not always through a sermon, is it? Now in Acts chapter 2, we're reading it's during a sermon, and that happens sure enough. But it's not always through a sermon. The Holy Spirit can, can cut to our heart in many different ways. It can be a conversation with someone. Right? It could, it could be listening to a song. Maybe tonight we're at the open mic and we hear a song and there's just that moment like, oh, man, like, I just cut to the heart. Now I, I feel like I have to do something. Pay attention to that. That's the Holy Spirit cutting to our hearts, right? Uh, it could be through sharing a meal with someone. It could be uh, through watching a film, taking a walk out in nature. It can be in solitude. We, we can even get cut to the heart in, in, in hardness or hardship and loss, right? You ever go through something difficult and there's just that moment when you're just like cut to the heart and maybe you're reprioritizing your values and saying, oh man, I, I don't know if I'm living for the right thing. That's, that, that's you being cut to the heart. That's the Holy Spirit kind of like working in you and speaking to you. Even though you're not hearing an audible voice, it's cutting to your heart. And that's what happens here to these people. They're listening to the sermon. They're cut to the heart. And they say to Peter and the apostles, what should we do? It's interesting. As a preacher, it's interesting to me that I can't help but notice that one-third of the book of Acts is sermons and speeches. And I think that's significant because, yeah, the Holy Spirit cuts to the heart in all these different ways, but a third of the book, we see sermons and speeches and the Holy Spirit using preaching to directly cut to the heart. See, one of the reasons that we preach every Sunday and we teach the scriptures every Sunday is not because we're really good at it. It's because, it's because we believe that the Holy Spirit still does that. That how he worked through the early church, a third of the book was through teaching and preaching of scripture and he would come and he would cut to the heart and there'd be a response. And so we take time each Sunday, the reason we do preaching and teaching is not just because, oh, everybody has to do it. That's part of church. No, we really believe that the Holy Spirit uses Scripture to cut to our heart, right? That Hebrews 4, 12 is real, that the Word of God's active and living and it's powerful and it's sharp and it, and it can pierce, it can penetrate our hearts and it can expose our innermost intentions and desires and, and thoughts. And, and we believe that the Spirit still does this. I know for me personally, as both a preacher and as a listener of sermons, that I've experienced God kind of do that in different ways. Lots of times I fell asleep during sermons. <laughs> but there are times when, when I'd read a passage of Scripture or someone would be teaching or preaching something, and I'd be like, whoa, that's like right for me. I need to pay attention. I need to listen to that. Because that's one of the ways that the, that the Spirit works, right? Um, it's probably the reason that I'm still doing this 23 years later. Um, it's not because it's a popular or esteemed profession. But look what happens after, after they, they are cut to the heart. They ask this question, what should we do? In verse 38, Peter responds to them. And here's what he says, verse 38. Peter replied, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what we notice here is that their response, what they're feeling inside, and they ask the question, what should we do? Peter responds, and he gives them uh, some action to, to, to put onto their response. And he says, repent. And repent just means to turn away from your sin and turn toward God. And it's where we receive a forgiveness, right, through Jesus and what he did on the cross. And so he's saying the first thing you need to do is repent. Just turn away from your sin. Turn toward God. Receive forgiveness for your sin. And then he tells them also be baptized. Now, baptism is, is when you're immersed in water and you're raised up. And, and, and it's really a way that we identify with Christ in his death, in his burial, and then in his resurrection. And we come up out of the water, right? We're identifying with Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a way that we commit ourselves to following in the way of Jesus when we go through baptism. We say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to put a ring on it now. I'm, I'm going to follow in the way of Jesus. And so it's an outward sign of an inward decision. That's what baptism is. And so he says, okay, you've got to repent. You've got to be baptized. And then he tells them to receive the gift of the Spirit. Now, when he says receive the gift of the Spirit, he's not talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Remember when we did our series on the gifts of the Spirit and we looked at all the different gifts in the, that are mentioned in the New Testament? He's telling them receive the gift of the Spirit, the person, the Spirit. And he's, what he's, he's not saying that this, it's kind of like a spiritual booster shot to get you on another spiritual level. What he's saying is that when we receive the gift of the Spirit, it's God's Spirit allowing God's Spirit to fill you with more of who he is. And are there gifts of the Spirit? Absolutely. But first you have to be filled with more of who he is. Receive the gift of the Spirit. And so Luke, remember Luke's the author of Acts. And he's writing to this guy named Theophilus. We know that from the first chapter. And, and Luke wants Theophilus to know that from the outset, from chapter 2, that repentance, baptism, proclaiming the lordship, of Jesus, receiving the Holy Spirit, all of these are important elements to enter the community of Christ. And he's making it right from the outset. Acts chapter 2, Luke is writing this, and he's including all this information because he wants Theophilus to know if you're going to be a part of the the kingdom of God and going to be a part of this community uh, of Christ, these are things that are going to come up, and they're things that are important. They're things that we should be considering and praying about and, and allowing the Spirit to do in our lives. And look what else he has to say. Is, we'll just cover this last verse here, verse 39. He says, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Here's what that verse means. That all this that we just read, Peter's sermon, is not just for the people who heard the sermon, it's also for us here today. That we get the opportunity to respond Right? to Peter's sermon, just like they did. And, of course, the question is, what does that look like? To respond to this sermon that was preached almost 2,000 years ago. Well, I don't know. You know, one of the things that I think is, is interesting and, and kind of cool is 23 years ago when I preached that first sermon, and that precious lady came up to me and kind of said, oh, God spoke to me through that terrible thing <laughs> that you did up there. 
I still don't know what God spoke to her. And I don't need to. This summer, I was back in my hometown, in my home church, that same church. And my niece was getting married, and I was at a wedding. And, and sure enough, the same lady came up to me to remind me of that sermon that I preached 23 years ago. And she said, remember, when, remember your first sermon? And you spoke on this, and and you said, and and God spoke to me, and I did what he told me to do, and and it changed the trajectory of my life. And I was thinking, like, 23 years later, like, wow. Like, I remember that sermon because it was meaningful to me that she had said that to me. But to to, to have her approach me, I hadn't seen her in a decade, (laughs) years. And she came up to me and said that, and I said, you know what? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That he can use imperfect vessels, people who kind of even don't even know what they're doing but who kind of submit to, submit to what we just read about in this sermon that, that of what God wants to do and just come underneath it and be like, okay, God, like, could, could you use me? I don't even know what I'm doing. And so how do we respond to this, this, this morning? How do we respond to this sermon? How do, we res- how do we respond when we're cut to the heart? Tomorrow or next week or on Friday and you're watching a movie and all of a sudden you're just cut to the heart. What are we supposed to do? Well, let's just take a look at this Acts chapter 2. These people say, hey, what do we do? And, and Peter tells them, well, repent, be baptized, right? Receive the forgiveness of sin. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so for some of us this morning, it might mean uh, responding to this sermon in Acts chapter 2, it might mean that some of us here investigate Jesus further. Now we kind of just consider more deeply what it would look like to put our faith in Christ. Maybe we're on the fence about that. We're just kind of like, I'm just trying to figure this thing out. Well, maybe how we respond to what we just read in Acts 2 is, well, maybe I'm going to consider that more deeply. I'm going to investigate Jesus further. For others here, maybe it means you pray about pursuing baptism. Oh, wow, there's this thing about baptism in here. That seems like a pretty important part of following Jesus. Well, it is. It's, it's, it's when we go public with our faith. It's when we commit ourselves to following in, in, in the way of Jesus. Just like in a wedding, we, you know, we, we put this thing in our finger, and it's a reminder that we're committed to someone. That's what baptism is. So maybe, maybe your response to Acts chapter 2 today in Peter's sermon is, oh, I should, I should prayerfully consider it baptism. Maybe it's taking time to, to think about the implications of, of Jesus' lordship. Wow, okay, so Peter's talking about Jesus being Lord, and man, it sounds pretty heavy, pretty, pretty big. What does that mean for my life? What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? What, what implications does that have on my decisions and the choices I'm making? Oh, I should, maybe I should consider that. Well, that's a response, right? I'm sure a lot of these people who he's preaching to, when they were cut to the heart, they thought, they thought about that, whoa, maybe, maybe I need to make Jesus Lord of my, my whole life. Or, or maybe it's allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you with more of who he is. That could be a response. I don't know. Uh, but let me leave you with this. Pay attention this week to those moments when the Holy Spirit cuts to your heart. Maybe you're having a meal with someone. Maybe you're doing a devotional. You're reading scripture. Maybe you're just solitude, silent, sling on, on your bed. One of the things I love to do, because my house isn't very silent, 
is that I'll retreat to my chamber, my bedroom, and just lay down on my bed and just try to capture some silence. And a lot of times, like, I, I get clarity. I feel, honestly, sometimes that, that the Holy Spirit cuts to my heart about things. So maybe that's how it'll happen for you. Maybe it'll be tonight at the coffee house, somebody will sing a song, or you'll be drinking a cup of coffee, and you'll be like, whoa, the Holy Spirit just cut to my heart. <laughs> right? There, there's something just really special that happens. And we need, we need to pay attention to those moments. And, and honestly, I'm biased, but as a preacher, pay attention to sermons. Pay attention when we're going through and reading Scripture. If there's something that pops out to you and it sticks to you and you can't shake it, and you're like, oh, man, so that's, that, that's like sticking out to me. Pray about that. See what the Holy Spirit is, is doing, cutting to your heart. And so can we all try that this week? Just kind of try to pay attention to that. All right, so I'm going to pray for us um, that God gives us kind of listening minds and hearts and the courage to respond when he does do that. Also, we're going to have communion this morning. And one of the things the scripture tells us about communion is that we're to take time before we take the bread and the cup and we're supposed to inspect our hearts. Right? We're supposed to pay attention. Is there anything that the Holy Spirit speaks? Is there anything that is cutting at my heart? It doesn't mean we're introspective. That's when you just look inside and you're just trying to figure out yourself. It means you look up. You, ex- you inspect your heart, but you're looking up. You're saying, Holy Spirit, like, I, I want you to kind of, if there's anything to cut at in here, like cut to, um, before I take this and remember what Jesus did for me, I, I just want to make sure. Right? The First Corinthians tells us to, to do that when we come to the table. And so we're going to, I'm going to pray that we do that together before we approach the table. It's gluten-free, so anyone with gluten intolerance, you can participate with us today. What we're going to do is we're going to respond and come forward to the communion table. So we're going to come down this aisle. I want you to take the bread and the cup and then just walk around this aisle back to your seat and just hold the bread and the cup. We're going to have the worship band playing, and, and we'll sing a worship song together. And then I'll come up, and I'll lead us uh, through communion. Does that sound good? Why don't we stand up and pray, and I'll have the worship band come up. I'll say a prayer for us. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a, 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 at a pace and in a culture where we just move and we go and we hustle and we bustle. And it's, it's not often that we, we pause and recognize what your Spirit's doing in our lives, around us. Lord, I thank you for Acts 2 when you just invaded this space where... The, we're 120, about the same size that's gathered here maybe today. A pillar of fire comes in, and all, and all this unique thing's happening. There's, there's, there's Holy Spirit activity happening, and it draws a crowd, and Peter gets up to explain and preach, and people are cut to the heart. God, uh, um, man, we would really love that, <laughs> to see that kind of activity, to be aware. We know you're working. We're just not super aware of it because we're so preoccupied. <laughs> God, I pray this week you would help us as a church family to pay attention to the Holy Spirit and when he cuts to our heart, whether it's through scripture or a sermon or a prayer time or a devotional or a conversation or a song or a movie or nature or whatever, solitude, whatever way you want to speak, we want to listen. And so, Lord, we come to the communion table together as as a church community this morning and we, we... We heed 1 Corinthians where it tells us that we should inspect our hearts, not to be introspective and try to figure our own selves out, but just to inspect and just see, hey, is there there anything you might want to speak to us about? Is there anything that you're cutting at? But we want to respond to that. We want to remember what Jesus did for us. 
want to celebrate that we live in a new, we've been ushered into this new age where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and the Spirit's been poured out and we get to participate, we get to experience this new age. What a privilege. But we don't want to miss it by being so busy that we don't see it, we don't recognize it, we don't, we don't participate in it. So God, help us with that. And remind us of that even as we take communion together this morning. And we give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory because it belongs to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.